1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Global Water Resources, Inc. 2020 third quarter conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star zero for operator assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone that this call is being recorded on November 6, 2020 at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. I would now like to turn the conference over to Heather Cooper, Vice President and Controller. Please go
0: ahead. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's call. Yesterday, we issued our 2020 third quarter financial results by press release, a copy of which is available on our website at www. Dot GWresources.com. Speaking today is Ron Fleming, President and Chief Executive Officer; Mike Liebman, Chief Financial Officer; and Chris Kreiger, Chief Strategy Officer. Mr. Fleming will summarize the key operational events of our, the quarter. Mr. Fleming will review the financial results for the quarter, and Mr. Kreiger will review strategic initiatives and business development for the quarter. Mr. Fleming, Mr. Liebman, and Mr. Kreger will be available for questions at the end of the call. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that certain information presented today may include forward-looking statements. Such statements reflect the company's current expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions regarding future events. These forward-looking statements involve a number of assumptions, risks, uncertainties, estimates and other factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from those contained in the forward-looking statements. Accordingly, investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on any forward-looking statements, which reflects management's views as of the date hereof and are not guarantees of future performance. For additional information regarding factors that may affect future results, please read the sections Risk Factors, and management discussion and analysis of financial condition and results of operations included within our latest Form 10-K and Form 10-Q filed with the SEC. Such filings are available at www.sec.gov. Certain non-GAAP measures may be included within today's call. For a reconciliation of these measures to the comparable GAAP financial measures, please see the tables included in yesterday's earnings release which is available on our website. Unless otherwise stated, all amounts discussed are in U.S. dollars. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Maran Fleming.
2: Thank you, Heather. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. We are very pleased to report the results for the third quarter of 2020. First and foremost, I always begin by discussing our top priority, which is the health and safety of our employees and our customers. Considering the COVID-19 pandemic we are currently navigating, it is appropriate to start here again. As an essential utility whose services are vital during a health pandemic, our company moved quickly and early to implement all national, local, and industry-specific guidance to maximize social distancing and other measures to protect the health and safety of our employees and customers and safeguard our operations. These measures continue to be modified as guidance and the situation on the ground changes, but generally all measures remain in place and have gone well. And we have not incurred any significant disruptions throughout 2020 resulting from the pandemic, either operationally or financially. However, at this point, we cannot predict the impact it could have on operations and financial results going forward. In the event that customers have difficulty paying their utility bills due to COVID-19, we're ready to work with them to set up payment plans and offer other options. For example, we previously rolled out an expanded customer assistance program. We can report today that this assistance is being utilized, and in 2020 alone, through our program partners, we have distributed over $100,000 to customers in need of help to pay their utility bill. In the meantime, we voluntarily have suspended disconnections for non payment and eliminated late fees. Moving back to our typical operational highlights, I'm very pleased to announce that, in accordance with our top priority, we continue to perform at an extremely high level on employee safety and regulatory compliance on non recordable incidents. As of today, our staff has only experienced two minor OSHA recordable incidents in 1,162 days. In fact, we have almost no related costs incurred in over four years, resulting in an experience modifier, or EMOD, of 0.65. As a reminder, an EMOD of one is considered to be industry average. So said another way, we are performing 35% better than the industry average, which results in lower actual costs and workman's comp insurance costs. Also, it has been 1,685 days since our last significant compliance violation. In fact, just this week, we received unsolicited recognition from the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality as part of their voluntary environmental stewardship program, Bronze Level. Bronze Level recognizes companies that demonstrate strong environmental compliance for the past three years and demonstrate environmental excellence and leadership in providing customers with safe drinking water. This recognition is a nice addition to the Utility of the Future Today National Award that we received and announced earlier in the quarter for the company's transformational work in community engagement, watershed stewardship, and resources recovery. On a related note, in the quarter, we delivered a record volume of recycled water. 273 million gallons, which is an increase of 20.4% year over year. Full reuse of recycled water is a primary element of our total water management approach for growing communities that allows us to achieve meaningful conservation. We also continue to realize benefits from bringing customer service and billing in-house last December, including better control of long-term service costs, and benefits derived from a deeper focus on customer experience and enhanced scalability of operations as we continue to grow. This has been magnified by our proactive measures to move employees to work from home because of the pandemic and our work with customers during this challenging time. I now want to highlight customer growth. On the organic growth front, total active service connections increased 5% to 47,594 at September 30th, 2020. Development and housing activity remains very strong in our areas. In fact, through the end of Q3, the City of Maricopa issued 937 single-family home permits, up 23% over the prior year and on pace to have the best year since before the Great Recession. Typically, we cite specific sources for housing projection permit growth. We cannot do that right now as those projections have been suspended due to COVID-19. However, I want to read part of a recent quote by one of the most prominent real estate experts in Metro Phoenix, Jim Bielfori. Housing demand is at its highest level since 2006 in Arizona, while supply is at its lows not seen since 2005. The places with the most visible rise in demand are those on the outskirts of the Metro Phoenix area, areas where demand largely dried up following the housing bubble and the great recession areas within Pinal County. At this moment, the fastest selling Arizona communities are here in the Santan Valley, in Casa Grande, and in Maricopa, meaning the city of Maricopa. He also continued, Pinal County is about to see more growth than it has ever experienced as Phoenix area builders seek affordable land and home buyers seek more affordable housing. We're going to see the Pinal County building boom return rapidly over the next 30 months. So for those of you that have been following our company for a while and know this is what we have been preparing for and speaking about as a company, it really, really since the beginning. This was the strategy to buy or build utilities in the path of growth along growth corridors. This is again happening, and in short, we are well-positioned to benefit from rapid growth throughout our large service areas in Pinal County and elsewhere. Beyond organic growth, the addition of Chris Krieger earlier this year as Chief Strategy Officer has allowed for daily focus on growth through acquisitions and new business opportunities. As announced last week, we just completed our first acquisition since 2018 and are now making constant progress on business development. Chris will provide more information later in the call. Finally, in addition to strong organic growth and acquisitions, we have discussed that we filed a new rate case with regulators during the quarter and will be requesting a modest increase to customer rates. We don't expect a decision on rates before September of next year and have requested that they not be effective until January 1, 2022, as to further assure any rate increase is well beyond the current pandemic. Putting all these elements together, Global Water is well positioned for notable growth in the years to come. Finally, the Board of Directors has approved a 1% increase to our annual dividend paid monthly as we are committed to growing the dividend along with the rest of our business. The first dividend at the new monthly rate will be paid on December 30, 2020, to holders of record on December 16, 2020. I will now turn the call over to Mike for financial highlights. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ron. Hello everyone.
3: Total revenue for the quarter was 10.8 million, which was up 815,000 or 8.2% compared to Q3 of 2019. This increase is primarily driven by the 5% organic connection growth, increased consumption, and our approved rate increase. Year to date through Q3 of 2020, revenue was 28.9 million compared to 26.8 million in 2019. This reflects an increase of 2.1 million or 7.8%. Similar to the quarter, this increase is primarily driven by the organic connection growth, increased consumption and approved rate increase. Operating expenses in Q3 2020 were 7.9 million compared to 7.4 million in 2019. This is an increase of 485,000 or 6.6%. Notable changes in operating expenses included Increased operating and maintenance cost by $235,000, primarily driven by cost that increased as revenue increases. Second, increased depreciation and amortization expense by 355000 primarily due to the increase in our fixed assets associated with our capital expenditure plan. And these increases, thirdly, were offset by a reduced DNA expense of about 105000 Year-to-date through Q3 of 2020, operating expenses were 22.5 million, compared to 20.8 million in 2019. This is an increase of 1.7 million or 8.1%. Now to discuss other expense. Other expense for Q3 2020 was 1.26 million, compared to 1.13 in 2019. The 136,000 increase was primarily due to the elimination of the fathom royalty. Year to date through Q three of twenty twenty, other expense was four point three million compared to two point four million in twenty nineteen. The one point nine million increase was primarily due to the one million of other income received in Q one of twenty nineteen from the loop three oh three contract, in addition to the non-cash asset disposal of approximately five hundred and fifty thousand in Q two of twenty twenty, as well as the elimination of the FATA royalty of two hundred ninety-two thousand. Turning to net income. Global Water had net income of $1.1 million, or $0.05 per diluted share in Q3 of 2020. This is an increase of 8% compared to Q3 of 2019. Year-to-date through Q3 of 2020, net income decreased $1.1 million to $1.4 million, or $0.06 per diluted share. This decrease was primarily attributed to the final payout of the 303 contracts in Q1 of 2019 combined with the non-cash loss on asset disposals of 547,000 in Q2 of 2020, and the non-cash restricted stock expense of 654,000 booked throughout 2020. After adjusting for the non-cash expenses just mentioned, net income was 2.3 million, or 10 cents per diluted share, whereas 2019 year-to-date net income after adjusting for the non-recurring Loop 303 proceeds was 1.7 million, or 7 cents per diluted share. Now to talk about adjusted EBITDA, which adjusts for non-recurring events such as Loop 303 proceeds and also adjusts for non-cash items like deferred compensation expense related to restricted share awards and asset disposals. Adjusted EBITDA was 5.5 million in Q3 of 2020, which is up 771,000 or 16.1% compared to Q3 of 2019. Year-to-date through Q3 of 2020, adjusted EBITDA was 14.4 million, which is up 1.7 million or 13.1% compared to 2019. Before turning the call over, I'd like to touch on our liquidity situation. With the existing cash on hand of 18.1 million and our $10 million unused line of credit, we have over 28 million of liquidity to support ongoing operations and our growth strategy. This concludes our update on Q3 2020 financial results. I'll now pass the call to Chris to review our strategic initiatives and business development activities
4: for the quarter. Thanks, Mike. Good morning, everyone. I will highlight three items for you before passing the call back to Ron. As you will recall, in the past we discussed four different elements to our revenue growth story. First, natural organic customer growth within our existing utilities, which you heard Ron and Mike discuss earlier. Second recurring rate case activity, third, growth due to new service area establishment or expansion, and fourth, acquisitions. My remarks will focus on the last three of those elements, recurring rate case activity, service area expansion, and acquisitions. As it relates to revenue growth through our rate case activity, As Ron mentioned, we made our rate case filing on August 28th of this year. As filed, the case proposes an approximately 13% rate increase, equivalent to approximately $4.6 million in additional revenue, with new rates to be effective through a phase-in starting in January 1st, 2022. Besides the increase in rates, our filing contemplates elements of Commission policy to incent further consolidation of small, troubled utilities in the state. We think these proposals are a meaningful opportunity to move the discussion forward on the issue, which is not only good for all stakeholders involved, including customers, the existing owners, and the regulators themselves, it also creates further revenue growth opportunities for our company. As you'll recall, Global Water has a long track record of acquiring and approving utilities and we see a great opportunity to improve the framework to make this an important change in Arizona. Procedurally, on September 25th of this year, we accomplished the first project milestone, having our filing deemed sufficient by the Arizona Corporation Commission staff. This means the filing is administratively complete and can now proceed along its normal course. About a month later, on October 23rd, we received what is called a procedural order which outlined the calendar for the case, including key events such as other parties' testimony and the hearing itself. Overall, the case is proceeding as anticipated, and we will continue to update you as the case progresses. Now, turning to expansion of current service areas and establishment of new service areas, in the quarter, we received ACC staff's recommendation and held a hearing regarding our Certificate of Convenience and Necessity for Pinal Land Holdings Inland Port, Arizona project, as you'll recall located near the City of Coolidge. This project represents approximately 2,500 acres of land and is directly adjacent to the future Nicola site. The case is on track and we expect to receive a commission order by the end of this year. The landowner is actively marketing the property, and we will continue our infrastructure planning efforts in 2021. Relative to new service area expansion, we also filed one new certificate of convenience and necessity in the quarter related to our Western Maricopa County operations. We expect to receive ACC approval of this filing in the first half of 2021. Finally, the last element of our revenue growth drivers relates to acquisition activity. Last week, we announced the acquisition of Mirabelle Water Company, Inc., a water utility located in the greater Tucson area. Our first transaction since 2018, this deal represents the next step in our growth through acquisition. Mirabelle is in close proximity to our Red Rock service area in Tucson, making this a logical extension of our utility footprint. While financially it will not make headlines, so to speak, it's a low-risk deal that complements our existing business. We will continue pursuing other opportunities that fit this profile and hope to have further announcements in the near future. This concludes the update on the strategic initiatives and business developments for the quarter. I'll now pass the call back to Ron.
2: Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Mike. It is clear we remain well-positioned to weather these uncertain times, but with a strong balance sheet and disciplined strategy. In fact, from an operational and financial perspective, we have never been stronger and we have more than ample liquidity and capital resources to pursue expansion through organic growth, acquisitions, and new projects, both big and small. As we handle this high growth, we intend to remain at the forefront of the water management industry and advance our mission of achieving efficiency and consolidation. We truly believe that expanding our platform and applying our expertise throughout regional service areas and to new utilities will be beneficial to all stakeholders involved. We appreciate your investment in and support of us as we grow Global Water to address important utility, water resource, and economic development issues in Arizona and potentially beyond. These highlights conclude our prepared remarks. Thank you. Uh, We are now available to answer your questions.
1: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then 2. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. The first question comes from Jerry Sweeney from Roth Capital. Please go ahead.
5: Uh, good morning, uh, Ron, Mike, and Chris. Thanks for taking the call. Hi,
2: Thanks.
5: Uh A couple questions. Um, maybe I'll just start on the acquisition front. Um, notice the uh, Mirabelle acquisition. Um, Ron or Chris or Mike, could you maybe give a little bit of um, quality qualitative description of maybe what the acquisition pipeline looks like or at least what the market um, looks like in Arizona for acquisitions, whether it be like the number of potential candidates out there or size, just so we can get a a sense of maybe size and scope of what, uh, you know, what you're looking at.
4: Yeah. Good morning, Jerry. This is Chris. So a couple of thoughts directly to your question. The first would be, Generally speaking, the ACC website lists over 350 water and wastewater utilities in the state of Arizona, just to give you a a directional sense of the opportunity set. And then from our perspective, you know, we're looking at the whole range of those from things as small as Mirabelle to much larger than that. I think from our perspective, we see while something like Mirabelle per se won't, you know, grab the headlines, if you start adding up and aggregating a lot of Mirabell's, it can be really meaningful for for us and for the company from a customer growth standpoint, but then also from a rate-based and capital deployment standpoint, which is the, the business that we're in. So I think significant opportunity set in Arizona and can really make a, a meaningful difference in our company.
5: Got it. I'm assuming uh, part of the attraction to the Mirabel acquisition that it was very close to the Red Rocks and you can leverage some either existing infrastructure or, or, or at least people. And it's pretty easy just to tuck in.
4: Yeah, that's part of it for sure.
5: Okay. Um, got it. Um, and then um, any comments on the ACC in particular? I, I believe there was an election for commissioners down there recently Um just was curious, uh, an update and how that stands, and if there was, you know, potential impact on either policy or what have you with uh, with that regulatory agency.
2: Yeah, hey, Jared, this and Ronald, I'll start with that. Um, you're right; there was an election. <laughs> Lots going on. This day, right? But uh, but there's you know, a couple that, elections yes, going a commissioner, on. commissioner. Right? Yeah, <laughs> a commissioner election in Arizona is one of the many things going on, so you are right. Um, you know, sitting here today, the, uh, the, the 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 factual data that's available to us today um, has a, 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 a candidate, Anna Tavar, uh, in the lead, and then candidate Leah Marquez Peterson in second, and then candidate Jim O'Connor. In third, so uh, Anna Tavar is a Democrat. Uh, the other two are Republic, Republican, um, and there are. Uh, and the reason I gave all three is there are three seats up for up for election. Um, there are other candidates uh, uh, below them, um, but but that looks like sitting here today who who will probably take the seats. And so, uh, you know, um, that would make the commission. Uh, three Republican, two Democratic, to go with our current commissioner Justin Olson and, and, and Commissioner Sandra Kennedy. So, you know, um, I think that ultimately um, we've worked really hard down at the commission uh, through our rate case and all of our other communications campaigns within our communities um, to to you know establish the company in a, in a good place and. We don't think that what is going on at the commission or, or you know, regardless of ultimately uh, who would have been elected uh, through this uh, cycle uh, will really impact or change what's going on in Arizona on the water regulatory front. So, so you know, at the end of the day, those are the names. You can do your own research and develop what you think, but we, we feel we feel good about the outcome. We, we think we would have felt good regardless of ultimately who I've been elected and we're gonna just keep doing the right things and do what we do and, and uh and and uh you know continuing to build good relationships down there at the Corporation
5: Commission. Got it. As a point of reference, I know you guys are in Maricopa County, I'm in Philadelphia County County, probably the two most interesting counties in the country right now. So uh, <laughs> any anyway. uh, one true. other one uh, other comment uh, question i should say uh permit growth i had something like uh single family permits it's through september twenty two percent october looked like a uh, year to date twenty two percent i'm sorry through september twenty two percent then october another big um just not being in um in Mer- the city of Maricopa and the surrounding area, and, and not being able to travel. You know, can you maybe give a little bit of update? What's going on there? Lots of growth, as you said earlier in your commentary. You know, part of the strategy for Global Water is being in the path of growth and buying or building utilities. But you know, what has really developed um, in the last year, eighteen, twenty-four months? That's maybe driving some of this growth, just from a uh, qualitative perspective too.
3: Yeah, hey, Jerry, this is Mike. I'll I'll take a stab at that and ask Ron and Chris to chime in. But I think, you know, in light of um, what we're seeing, obviously a lot of developments happening, um, COVID potentially having implications there, the fact that there's a lot of of lots available Californians moving to Phoenix, the high affordability of the bedroom communities and the growth areas outside of Phoenix we think is putting – Arizona and Phoenix and the city of Maricopa specifically on the map, and we're seeing seeing the benefits of that. And so that was what we believe is driving that. And, and as you mentioned, it's through October, and you've seen the ramp up the last few months. That's what we're seeing. It's continued. So it really puts us in a good place.
5: Okay. Uh, that's it for me. So I, I appreciate it.
2: All right. Thank Thanks, you. Jerry.
1: Once again, if you have a question, please press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. The next question comes from John Jung from Trailhead Asset Management. Please go ahead.
6: Good morning, guys, and I appreciate your uh, report this morning and taking my call.
2: Yeah, hi, John. Good to talk to you.
6: my question is in regard, in regard to um, what are the financial parameters for this uh, acquisition in Maripol in terms of uh, revenues and what does it cost you to acquire a small project like that?
3: Yeah, hey, John, this is Mike. So the the acquisition price isn't something that we've disclosed, but it's a, it's a small transaction, 60 customers. So it's not a you know overly material transaction, but it's kind of where it's at
6: okay so these are are these residential customers yes yes okay well uh I guess it, you know, the question for me is is when you look at um going out and consolidating an industry uh of which I've been involved in a handful of those different industries and and rolling up medical equipment dealers, et cetera, um, a lot of the uh, success of those is based on how expensive it is to make those acquisitions. And uh, uh, typically, you know, public water companies for pretty high multiples. Uh, what do you find in, in 300 different uh, listed companies that you indicated, Chris, is, is uh In that uh, list in Arizona, what do you expect for range of costs for doing transactions? And do you have a budget for that, or do you have a strategy that suggests what you can afford to pay and and make those financially attractive for uh, um, future growth?
2: Yeah, hey, John, this is Ron. Uh, Like Mike mentioned, I mean, um, we're we're not disclosing deal specifics, but this is the way I would think about it. I mean ultimately um, it it's just like almost any asset class across any industry. there's a there's a range dependent upon the benefits to the buyer, um, meaning the consolidation benefits and the quality of the asset. So the opportunity that we see in Arizona and clearly exists in other locations is that there's there's a there's a need. And an unmet demand for the consolidation of what we call troubled utilities. So, clearly, you know, if the big water companies want to sit around and exchange their assets back and forth to each other, then that would demand the type of market valuations and premiums that you're talking about. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Class C, D, and E's. Now, it doesn't mean we won't do some of the larger ones, and those will be based specifically on on if we can get a financial structure in place that makes sense for us the buyer and then the seller the deals just won't happen but when you think about the opportunities on the smaller scale which was the basis of your original question um, C's Ds and E's aren't valued like that and so they are certainly cash flow to the owners and that cash means something to them and so there's a value to that but so you have to uh, just get to a a deal that works for them on the replacement of the cash flow that they're taking from the utilities, and obviously there's risk they're exiting as they as they as they sell the regulatory asset that's got a, a high um, risk profile just based on what we do, um, versus how that utility then looks inside of our consolidated utility, and when you look at it from those two paradigms, we we believe and have been, I know we just announced the one in 2018, but we did three as a reminder, or actually four as a reminder in uh, in 2018 and 2017. We have been able to get the deals done at a valuation that's very favorable and accretive to our shareholders. And we believe we can continue to do that. And that'll, that's even on just the acquisition cost. But then as Chris mentioned, we get to invest to improve them, bring them up to our standards of, of of quality and automation, and then ultimately, that's just more rate-based investment that we get to put inside the you know the, the rates that ultimately the customers pay. So 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 there's we try to get an immediate you know valuation lift or arbitrage. Again, each deal by itself isn't going to make a make a make a, a step function increase in our stock today, but if we can do enough of them over time. That's the strategy, and we think we can do it, and we think there's a need, frankly, for us to do it.
6: Okay. So when you say you're looking at these projects or these, these uh, utilities that are troubled, uh, what what kind of range of troubles do you uh, find when you go look at acquiring one of these? Are they operational troubles? Is- are they financial troubles? Um
4: this is Chris, yeah. So obviously it's specific to each utility has their own unique fact pattern, but trouble usually is, is relative to their size because they either don't have the capital to raise to make the projects the, or to complete the projects they need to, to continue providing that safe, reliable service or just operational challenges from how the system was set up when they bought it, and how they've been operating it. And so it can be a myriad of all of those things. And so I guess from – we think of it in trouble in that regard, but that's our expertise to come in and fix those issues, and that's where we can provide that value to customers. And then ultimately that's that's part of the benefit we bring to the table. So things that – those smaller utilities are difficult challenges for them. That's our wheelhouse and our bread and butter.
6: Okay. That's great. What about competition for these deals?
4: Yeah, so for sure there's competition out there, no doubt. But I think, as, as Ron alluded to, we're going to find the right deals for us at, at the right price and right opportunity. And we've been successful at that. And, and thankfully, we, there's a significant opportunity set in Arizona, so we don't have to do any that we don't think makes sense.
6: Okay and, and are you looking at this point at anything outside of Arizona?
4: So we've generally looked at opportunities outside the state. We haven't found anything that that's balanced all of those different elements that Ron was talking about, and so we'll, as I like to say, you know we'll keep our eyes above the proverbial state fence line, but if nothing ever happened in another state, we have so much opportunity here between our four different drivers of growth in the company that We don't have to do that unless we think it really makes sense.
1: Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you, John. Once again, if you have a question, please press star than 1 on your telephone keypad. The next question comes from Greg Vineet from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead.
7: Hi. um, I'm new to your company, so uh, excuse me if I ask some questions of possibly been answered. Um, usually when you make your acquisitions, are they usually for cash or or equity?
8: Yeah, Greg,
3: this is Mike. So Right now, with the cash that we have on our balance sheet of north of 18 million, and um, you know the opportunity set on the smaller side, you know we have plenty of cash, and then we've got liquidity with the unused line of credit. So between those two, we're in a good place for some of the smaller deals, and to you know what Chris mentioned, there are larger ones that we're looking at. And so to the extent that we're able to be successful in that regard, we would look to the capital markets from a you know debt and equity side to kind of help fulfill that acquisition. So. Um, on the smaller deals, cash, and the bigger deals, we'd look to for additional capital.
7: Um, so, y- you have the purpose of your 150 million uh, registration. Is that just a re- renewing an old one, just to have a shelf registration that keeps you?
3: That's e- that's exactly right, Greg. Yep, it was our three years was up this past August, and so then we just re-upped it for another 100 million. Yep. Okay. So one
7: of, and again, I'm not from Arizona, but um, yeah, I always hear I'm hearing about housing starts and the growth and people migrating from California and other States to Arizona. But at the same time, I read articles about, you know, the lack of water and the Colorado river, you know, um, dropping. And so the utilities that you have, they, they have a, source of water from either the Colorado River or from wells that is sustainable? Is that the, the assets that you buy or do you do you need or do you buy water from
2: you know from the state of Arizona? How does that work? Yeah hey Greg, this is Ron, good to meet you. Um you know, yeah. So, 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 so talking about water typically uh, requires a long answer, but I'll try to keep it short here today, and we're we're, we're open to follow up with you as necessary. So, so water is both a local issue and a regional issue, and a short-term issue and a long-term issue. And so, those where those things start to kind of intersect with each other. So, where are we at today? Today, global water primarily utilizes groundwater. But the wards we talked about earlier, and if you do research in us as a company, the way we manage water, wastewater, recycled water, and all of our conservation associated with that, result in a really low per capita or per home water demand on the local groundwater resources that we rely upon. And so, and so we're pretty proud of that. That really is our expertise uh, and, and a competitive advantage to some respects, and 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 so where we own utilities today and with the local water resource portfolios we've put together we don't have any issue in the foreseeable future so uh uh, so uh, again i could spend a lot more time on that and, and we can do that as necessary but uh the growth we're talking about is fully supportable and sustainable with the water portfolios and the way we operate our utilities today long term which is what's making the headlines Sure, we're in our 20th year of droughts. the Colorado River is flowing less than uh, ever. We just have the longest highest, longest, hottest, driest summer of all time here in Arizona. and thus long term, the demand versus supply lines are going to intersect sooner than you know they otherwise would have and thus that creates the the headlines and all the activity at a local level, state level, and even federal level about what are we going to do about that. So, so sure that has some implications on the states today. Primarily, what it means is we're losing what's called excess water supply for things like uh, non-essential agricultural use uh, and things like that. We're a long way f- away from it affecting. What's called I, municipal and industrial use, and all of the economic development and growth that's occurring across our state. We're well-positioned for that. And so it's it's, 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 that's kind of the good and bad of it. We, we actually, uh, you know, it's bad. We do rather all have no long-term water issues, but we, when you're good at dealing with that and that's what we do, then it's good for your business, right? You're needed more in our opinion to help address that long-term issue. And so, that's the way I would answer that question, and, and, again, happy to connect with you separately if you want to dig into any of that further. Okay. Um, so the grow-
7: for new growth, I guess you described in Maricopa County and Pinellas County, I think you just made some mention of that, to provide those home builders uh, or industrial, you have enough water to satisfy whatever their
2: needs are. Is that the way to think 100%. about it? That's exactly right, and and for years to come. Uh, I'll just give you one uh, data point uh, for our largest utility and our largest area that's, that's incurring a lot of this growth. We are today uh, less than one-third into our available water portfolio to both meet, continue to meet current demand and allow for all this growth. So, so hopefully that's a meaningful data point to you.
7: And that would be water coming from a well, or is that
2: coming from uh, or the river? I think those are the only two sources. But um, yeah, you got you got your local groundwater aquifers. You have in-state water supplies, and then you have out-of-state water supplies, which is basically the Colorado River. So, uh, yes, today we rely primarily in our areas because, again, that was the – and I know we're, we're just getting to know each other. The original business model was to go to new emerging communities around Metro Phoenix, consolidate the existing systems there, overlay a regional plan, infuse our total water management strategy. And so I just say all that to say that that, that, that was the plan because these new emerging areas – Uh, will will rely upon their historically large and high-quality groundwater aquifers because most of the existing large metro Phoenix suburbs and municipalities basically already control most of the uh, available out-of-state and in-state water supplies. Now, there's a market for those things, so I don't want to say at some point we can't tap those other supplies. We can it just comes at a, a future cost. We don't need to do that today because of the local or groundwater supply portfolios. When I use the term portfolios, generally, there's lots of things that go into that, um, um, have positioned our utilities in a great place whereby we don't really have to worry about buying water supplies or the long-term challenges I talked about earlier for a long time. So, we're in a good place, they're groundwater wells, they're high-quality water. I mean, we're called the Valley of the Sun for a reason. The valley is where water has been coming down from north northern Arizona and northern Mexico. It flows together into central Arizona, which is the areas we're talking about, and there's massive and large high-quality groundwater aquifers, and and we have the right to pump that under state, uh, state statutes and rules.
8: Okay.
2: All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you.
1: Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one on your telephone keypad. The next question comes from Zach Liggett from Desmond Liggett Wealth Advisors. Please go ahead.
8: Uh, great. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, the, the first one you guys called out uh, is Eldorado Holdings and uh, with a, a pretty sizable development, it looks like. Um, can, can you help us be Frame the magnitude and, and timing on, on what that means for you guys. Uh, how we should think about that—is that potential business for you several years down the road, or um, or something maybe more imminent?
2: Hey Zach, good to meet you. Um, so we definitely think it's something more imminent. Imminent. Sorry, <laughs> rolling off the tongue there. Um, So, this is the way I would think about it. You know, the project, if you look up its location, is right in the center and the heart of the city of Maricopa, which is our largest integrated utility. So, that means we do both water, wastewater, and recycled water. And so, uh, the city of Maricopa is the permit growth I talked about earlier, where it looks like we're on track this year to do more than any year than since prior to the Great Recession. And so I'll break it down in some data points for you. There's, you know, north of 5,000 finished or partially finished lots in the city of Maricopa today. And that sounds like a lot, and it is. That's like, you know, 25% growth. Um, to fulfill those. But at fifteen hundred lots per year, which is what which is what this year's you know growth rate is looking like it could be, you know, that's that's only a couple years out, right? And these developers have to get lots into that 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 pipeline um, in front of that so they can sell them to home builders and keep that growth occurring. And so, the project's starting now, they didn't announce it for for no reason. Um, They're starting with phases, as they do for projects that big. The first phase, I believe, is somewhere between 500 and uh, around 500 lots, and then they'll just keep doing 500 lot phases from there, generally speaking. And so they're starting out It's probably a two-year project to do the, the horizontal uh, improvements that are necessary. We will do ours right alongside them. Again, it's right in the heart of the city, so it's not really that complicated for us. And they'll start putting those lots right on the back end of that pipeline I talked about earlier. So we'll probably be selling homes into that community in the next three years or so. But so it just becomes part of the, the 5%-ish organic growth that we're or seen in the city today, it just allows that growth to continue uh, almost continuously. Once you put that side of a project on the on the back end of it, great, great.
8: Um, and then, not to beat a dead horse on the M and A front, uh there was some good earlier. But um, I mean, would you say the hurdles going forward are are more? Um, I guess getting these potential sellers to be real sellers um, or are you finding sellers willing to sell and just not coming to terms that make sense for, for us as shareholders?
4: I would say there's, you know, there's probably a little bit of everybody in category A and B. And so I think as, as this one shows, we've had some success. And as Ron alluded to, we had a few more recent, uh, in 2017, 2018. And so, but we feel good about going forward, what opportunities are out there.
8: All right. Um, and then just kind of an oddball one. Um, I've seen some reports around the country where, um, some utilities or are there some pilots to do like COVID testing via the, the wastewater stream? And I'm, I'm just curious if you guys been involved in anything like that. It seemed like a fascinating way to maybe get uh, some early alerts out there um, on sort of disease spread, whether it's for COVID or, or something like this down the road
2: yeah no it is fascinating, and we're we're very happy to see our industry take such an important role in that issue um you know we we really do pride ourselves on being a leader in in the in the industry. We do a lot on lots of different fronts that make that true from water reuse and use of technology and things like that so so we definitely are interested in the topic but the fact is ultimately the very large um utilities in the space, and that includes municipalities and very large uh, uh, institutions and groups from, like, academia, got all over that early, and a lot of them here in the Metro Phoenix area, including ASU and the city of Tempe, which is where where ASU is located. And so what we decided on that front was, you know, a lot is going to be learned rapidly. Let's sit back, see what happens. Learn best practices and to go implement those best practices versus, you know, try to create it ourselves at the scale that we have. So, so we're monitoring what's going on, and I assume we, um, I assume at, at some level in the future we we will be involved as well. But we're uh, we're, we're not really on the uh, the research side of that at this point. Okay.
1: Thank you. This concludes the question and answer session. I would now like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Ron Fleming for any closing remarks.
2: All right. Thank you, operator. Um, Just like to thank everyone for participating in the call today and for your ongoing interest in global water resources. Uh, We look forward to speaking with you again. Bye.
1: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.